0: Thank you Charlie. Thank you Tom. He pronounces his name Zytema. Tom Zytema. We need to all get that right. I've called him all kinds of things <laughs> through these days uh, but it's it's uh, Zidema. All right. I wanted to kind of give you a little review tonight if you have your Bible turn with uh, with me to Matthew 10. We've been talking about the hallmarks of discipleship and I want you those again. I think we uh, enumerated them uh, last week, but I wanted to kind of go over it again in case you weren't here. You might want to write these down. If you were going to lead a Bible study sometime, this would be a great uh, section of scripture to use. The Hallmarks of Christian Discipleship. Number one, if you don't get all these, ask me later and I'll I'll give them to you. Uh, Number one, a disciple tries to be like his master. A disciple tries to be like his master. Chapter 10, 24 and 25. Chapter 10, verse 24 and 25. All right, number two. A disciple gives reverence to God. A disciple gives reverence to God and not to the world. And not to the world. Matthew 10, 26 through 31. Number three, a true disciple confesses the Lord. A true disciple confesses the Lord. And that's chapter 10, verse 32 and 33. And then tonight, uh, we're in uh, number four, a disciple might have to forsake his family. A disciple might have to forsake his family. It's chapter 10, verse 34 through 37. A disciple might have to forsake his family. Matthew 10, 34 through 37. Now my guess is that uh, 80% of you have never heard a sermon on what I'm going to be talking about tonight. This is not one of those that you would pick out and say, boy, I'd like to preach on that. Uh, This is not one of those. This is one of the most difficult passages and really has caused a lot of uh, discussion down through the years. So you need to um, think about this. And, uh, you know, it it concludes in a way that... uh, is loving and caring, but it, it really has some strong language. So you really need to kind of watch it as we move as we move through it. Uh, chapter 10, beginning at verse 34. Do not think that I came, this is Jesus talking, do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I came to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be the members of his household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Now that is a tough passage. And uh, this is one that uh, you might want to look at some commentaries. We have those in our uh, church library. Uh, These these are verses worth studying. This is the fourth hallmark of discipleship that we've been talking about. Basically, it's a willingness to forsake anything, anybody, uh, including one's own family, if that's what's needed for Christ's sake. Now, my guess is here tonight, most all of you at some point in your life have met somebody that was disowned by their family because they became a Christian. Now, if you've, if you've ever heard about that or know anybody like that, would you lift your hand? Gosh, that's a lot of people. A lot of you have. Well, this passage, of course, comes into play when that's the case. When I was in uh, college, there was a gal from China that could really sing. I mean, she could sing. And uh, she had been completely disowned by her family because she became a Christian. And somehow or another, she got to America and got to Texas. And uh, we had a thing on Wednesday night called the Baptist Religious Hour. And uh, it was the largest Wednesday night prayer meeting in the world. We had about 3,000 people there every Wednesday night. And this gal, about once a month, would get up and sing. And I mean, it it would move you. She had a real high voice. She was a high soprano. And boy, that girl could sing. And she'd give her testimony. It'd bring tears to your eyes. Her parents just threw her out. Said, don't ever come back. Don't ever call us. Don't ever write to us. Don't ever do anything. Just get out of here. Well, that's what our text is about tonight. The Jews of Jesus' day, uh, for the most part, expected Jesus to come in and be a great political leader. To kill all the Romans, disperse all them get rid of all them, bring the Jews to the forefront. They expected him to rule and reign. And the disciples, of course, all wanted to be at his right hand. They all wanted to uh, be the right-hand man, the vice president, if you will. They wanted him to reign and to rule. And, of course, as time went by, uh, they realized that that isn't what he was going to do. That isn't the uh, trek that he took. Uh, He did uh, bring righteousness and peace to the hearts and lives of literally thousands and thousands of people. The Old Testament spoke of the Messiah's peacemaking. Isaiah, in the Old Testament, called him the Prince of Peace in Isaiah 9-6. Spoke of his reign of perfect peace. In perfect justice, in chapter 2, verse 4, Solomon wrote of the Messiah's worldwide rule of peace and abundance. That's in Psalms 72. The whole psalm is about that. Now, Jesus' disciples had already experienced in their hearts and lives an inner peace that they had never known before. If you were around Jesus, you had more and more peace come in your life and of course the disciples were just amazed at what jesus did and as they saw that happen as they saw him talk about love and forgiveness and those kind of things they began to do that and of course peace and righteousness and and all of those kind of things began to grow in their life they had a a bliss that they had not known before when they came uh, to trust in christ They no doubt expected that experience to intensify the longer they were with Jesus. They thought, well, what's going to happen here is that we're going to become more and more and more spiritual and have more and more peace and more and more bliss in our lives. And eventually, Jesus is going to preach, and everybody's just going to fall down in front of him and that's the way it's going to go for forever. Well, Jesus, of course, knew what they were thinking. And one of the things that he had to do was to uh, talk about the scripture tonight to kind of rein them in from thinking that, to kind of rein them in and get them thinking in the right way because that, they were on the wrong path thinking that that's what's going to happen. Of course, we know what happened. You know, they came and took Jesus and crucified him. They didn't all fall down in front of him. They wanted to kill him. And they conspired for three years just exactly how to do it, how to go about it. They may have expected the world to fall down, but uh, the way of salvation and happiness came to some, but it certainly did not come to everybody. Therefore, they misunderstood the true nature of his first coming and their own ministry, they misunderstood it as well because he wanted them to know that difficulties, hardships, pain, suffering, even death was going to come not only to him but also to them and also to all of those that are going to really follow after Jesus. You might say to me tonight, well, I have never had any problems because I was a Christian. Well, if you never have, you might not have been doing enough of whatever you were doing. Because when you stand up tall and strong for Jesus, you're going to get some flack. You're going to get some criticism. You're going to get some blowback from that, that not always is going to be pleasant. Jesus began early to prepare them for his own rejection and suffering And also theirs. The gospel is indeed a gospel of peace. It offers the way to bring peace and joy uh, to a holy God and to a sinful man. It shows that the only way for having truly peaceful relationships uh, between men and other men. If you want to have an in-depth relationship with another person. The only way that you can protect that, you can build a wall around that, so to speak, is to do it through uh, Christian teachings because men are sinful. Men are fallen. Eventually, things happen. Arguments occur. Fights break out. All sorts of things go on. But because the world system is evil and man's fallen nature is sinful, God's offer of peace continues to be rejected. You know, all over America today, they're trying to take out things that have a a Christian look to them. They're trying to take out all the places where the Ten Commandments are. They're trying to take out all the places where Christians are meeting in schools and Christians are doing this and Christians are doing that. We're all aware of that. It's in the news all the time, how Christians are being persecuted in every sphere uh, of our nation. It's happening right and left, and it is accelerating. The newspapers, the magazines, they're speaking out. It seems like the judges take the side of the ACLU against whatever the Christian cause might be. The judges are ruling against us in in so many places in so many ways. This brings to the conflict into the most unique of human relations so that a man's enemies will be members of his own household. Uh, You see that? Is that verse, I don't know what, I don't have it broken out by verses. You see that in our text tonight? Man's enemies will be members of his own household. The Old Testament spoke about that aspect of the Messiah's coming as well. A man's enemies are the men of his own household, Micah 7, 6. I have read Micah many times. I don't remember that verse. That verse didn't jump out at me. I guess it was unpleasant, so I just kind of went over it and didn't stop there and think about it very much. Um. That is the very passage that Jesus is quoting in our text tonight, Micah 7, 6. Now look at verse 35. The word against is there. Now, when we think of the word against, we just think, well, it's an opposing point of view. In the Greek language, it's a little bit stronger word. It literally means to be cut off that there would be a separation between the two. It denoted complete and often permanent separation. Sometimes the rift between believers and unbelievers, uh, relatives, family members, was lifelong and irreconcilable. Now, perhaps you've had that in your family. In, in my family, we had some folks that were nominally Christian. My grandmother, I think, was a, was a uh, strong believer. But, but there wasn't a lot of uh, religious stuff going on in my family. I was the first one in the family that uh, became a minister. Uh, a friend of mine did my genealogy for me. Uh, Some of my relatives were judges and kind of big wig people. There were one or two prisoners in there uh, along the way. I don't know exactly what they did. Hope it wasn't too bad. Uh, A true disciple must be willing to pay the price of having a riff in the family. The Gospels report that at least two of the would-be disciples, they didn't follow Jesus because of family matters. Do you remember that? One of them uh, did not accept the call. He said, uh, I've got to wait until the inheritance is given out. I've got to wait on that. That hadn't happened yet. The other one wanted to delay obedience until everything had settled down in his family. He said, "No, I've got some things that I I've, I've got to do. I've got to straighten out before I can follow you." Of such half-hearted, divided commitment, Jesus said, "No one after putting his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God." That is a strong verse. Luke 9:57 uh, and following. Jesus says, you know, once you're with me, you need to follow. You need to follow seriously. You need to stay with it. You don't want to be dropping out. You don't want to be taking a vacation from your principles that you've learned in the word of God and under the leadership of the Holy Spirit in your life. Husbands or wives will sometimes not come to Christ because they're afraid of it. Messing up the relationship that they have with their husband or wife. I've been pastoring a long time and I've had over the years a number of people come to me and say, you know, my husband or my wife, they're going to leave me because I am coming to church no matter what they say. And they don't like it. They don't want me to come to church. They don't want me to read a Bible. They don't want me to pray at the house. And, of course, the person at that point has to make a decision. They have to decide, well, am I going to follow what the Lord obviously wants me to do and to say and to be? Or am I going to just submit to whatever my husband or wife says? You know, I've known of lots and lots of families where one member of the family went to a what I'd call a mainline church and the other member of the family went to some kook group. And uh you know, there there's not a there's not a togetherness there. You know, if, if one person's going to the sons and daughters of I will arise and the other people are going to a Baptist church, that isn't going to come together very much. Uh, that's not going to haul. Well, children sometimes uh, don't sometimes follow in a growth pattern with the Lord because their parents discipline them. Their parents say to them, no, you're not going to go to church. No, you're not going to read your Bible. No, I'm not going to read the Bible to you. No, we're not. We're not going to do that. We don't do that in our family. Well, such fears are often underground because one member of the family coming to Christ uh, leads the whole family to Christ. Sometimes that happens. Uh, We have a young girl that has just joined our church in the last couple of months. uh, And she has led her mom and her father to the Lord. And uh, she went to a uh, party uh, for the family, and they all are Muslims. And she spoke up for Jesus. Now, is that remarkable? Is that just remarkable? She did that. I told her, I said, I don't want you getting killed. (laughs) I said, uh, if you think you're about to get killed, Go get in the car or get on a bus or something. Get out of there. Don't want you getting killed. She said that uh, she gave a word for Jesus. Now, do we have the whatever to do that? Do we have the, the intestinal fortitude to take a stand like that? The conversion of one member often leads to bitterness, permanent disruption of the family relationship. No one can be sure in advance what the other people's reaction reaction to his conversion or her conversion will be, even the reaction of his own family. I remember when I went home and told my parents that I was going to go into the ministry. Everybody in my family drank a lot. And uh, my mother said, uh, are you going to do that in the Baptist church? And I said, yeah. She said, well, why don't you be Episcopalian? <laughs> she said, that would, that would fit so much better. Why don't you do it in the Episcopalian church? And I said, well, Mom, the Lord didn't lead me that way. I'm going to do it in the Baptist church. Jesus' point is the the saving of one's soul and yielding to Christ, giving him absolute lordship of your life, must be paramount. It must be in first place, whatever the cost. Now, here's, here's the hard line. Whatever the cost in the relationships with family, friends, working associates might be, That's what Jesus is saying in this text tonight, and that is a hard, hard message. The phrase, is not worthy of me, in verse 37, identifies the person who will not come to Christ because of other intimate and meaningful relationships that might be affected. Jesus said, if they're going to side with those people against me, then they're not worthy of me. It's real clear. I mean, there's no misunderstanding about what he's saying here in the text tonight. A young girl at a Christian conference uh, uh, who had been raised in a pagan family. And since her conversion, the father uh, threw her out, refused to speak to her, said, I'm not going to talk to you anymore. Don't write, don't call. The girl said, I can understand why he objects to my decision because he doesn't know anything about the gospel. He doesn't know anything about Jesus. He believes that all religion is superstition. But you would think that he would at least be happy that I'm not an alcoholic or a drug addict or a prostitute or a criminal. I didn't turn out to be any of those things. I've never had such joy in my life, the girl said, and I have never loved my father so much, yet he has cut me off from the family. Like many others, she had experienced the sword and the fire that the gospel sometimes brings. Sometimes it's tough, it's hard. And you've got to be strong in the word, in the Lord, to stand through that. In marriages where one partner is a believer and the other partner is not, Paul says the unbelieving husband is sanctified through the wife. She's, she's working on him. She's trying to deal with him. She's trying to lead him to the Savior. And the unbelieving wife is sanctified through her believing husband. He's working on her. He's praying for her. He's trying to lead her. He's trying to help her. But if the unbelieving one leaves, let him leave. Are you familiar with that passage? Uh, 1 Corinthians 7, uh, 14, verse 14 and 15. If you're not familiar with that. If the sword of division causes an unbeliever to sever a marriage, the separation is to be accepted for the sake of of the believers peace that that, this is tonight. This is all really tough stuff uh, to deal with. Uh, These are, these are hard verses the gospel that brings inner peace to those who believe will also be the cause of there being misunderstandings. Uh, Some will be maligned. Some will be mistreated by those who do not believe, including those nearest and dearest to them. The most heart-rendering divisions are always among those that are the closest to us. Nowhere can feelings be hurt more than in the home, where because of Jesus coming into the heart of one, the bond is broken. Because the inner vision and inner Because the intervention in history by the Son of God was going to split and fracture a lot of human relationships, Jesus determined that his disciples needed to be prepared, prepared for that experience. Becoming a Christian requires affirming the lordship of Christ to the point that you are willing to forsake everyone. Everyone. The Christian is to love his family with a self-sacrificing love. Christian husbands and wives are to love each other and their children with an unreserved devotion. Christian children are to love, respect, and care for their parents as unto the Lord. But a believer's commitment to Christ is so profound and far-reaching that any relationship that endangers that must be set aside. John Bunyan was told to quit preaching or they were going to put him in prison. Have you, read, have you read his story? It's a great story. He knew that if he went to prison, his wife and his children would be left destitute. They had little enough to eat and wear as, uh, even when he was free. He thought to himself, you know, if uh, I'm imprisoned, uh, they would be totally impoverished. Yet he knew he must preach the gospel. God had called him to preach the gospel in that day, in that place. Because he refused to stop preaching, he was imprisoned. And from his cell, he wrote these words. I want to read them to you tonight, they're powerful. The parting with my wife and poor children hath often been to me in this place as a pulling of the flesh from my bones, and that not only because I am somewhat too fond of these great mercies, but also because I would have often brought to my mind the many hardships, miseries, and wants of that poor family and what they were going to have to deal with should I be taken from them, especially my poor blind child who lay nearer to my heart than all I have besides. Oh, the thought of the hardship I thought my blind one might go under, would break my heart, break it to pieces. But yet recalling myself, thought I, I must venture all with God, though it goeth to the quick to leave you. Oh, I saw in this condition I was a man who was pulling down his house, upon the head of his wife and children. Yet thought I, I must do it. I must do it, for God has called me. Now here's the, here's the bottom line tonight for each of us. Does, does Christ come before anything in your life? If needs be, would you walk away from your job? your finances, even your family. That's the place, the position that Christ wants to have in your life. Let me suggest something to you tonight that might, you say, well, preacher, that is far, far far-fetched. Well, it might be, but it might also be an opportunity to have the greatest ministry you've ever had in your life. Perhaps some of you could be a surrogate family For a young person that has been thrown out for the cause of Christ. You know, if you would do that, I'm sure there are some people that need a place. That need a place. Well, I'm going to stop there. Um... Tonight, uh, sometimes uh, the word of the Lord is pretty stiff and stern. It's also a word that speaks to our heart. And if your heart has been touched, and you've been thinking about becoming a Christian, you've been wanting to become a Christian, but you've never had the courage to step out to take a stand for Christ, maybe tonight would be the night. We're going to sing a hymn of invitation, and I'm going to stand right down here in the front as I always do, and we'd ask you to just slip out and say, yes, I want to ask for the forgiveness of my sins, and I want to place my faith and my trust in Christ. I want to make that bond to be the strongest bond I have in my whole life. Maybe some here tonight, or uh, like happened in the service this morning, you've been visiting with us for a period of time, and you realize that you want to belong to a Bible-believing, teaching, preaching church. We want to invite you to come and join with us and help us in the ministry that God has set before us. If you feel led to come and join with us, it would bring real joy to our hearts. We would welcome you with open arms. Let's stand together as we sing, I'll be waiting here. I come broken to be mended, I come wounded to be healed, I come desperate to be rescued, I come empty to be fed, I come guilty to be pardoned by the blood of Christ the Lamb, and I'm welcomed with open arms, praise God, just as I am. Well, amen, amen. I'm glad you're here tonight. Didn't we have a a great service uh, in the second service today? I thought we did. Well, Dr. Milken, I haven't heard you pray in a long time. Come on up here, brother. Lead us as we worship together, as we serve the Lord together. He did a great job at the funeral the other day. I was proud of him. Did a great job. Brother, lead us in our prayer. Let's bow together for prayer. Father, we want to tell you again how much we love you. And thank you for your saving grace. Thank you for providing all of our needs. I just pray that we will continue to be a witness for you in all that we do. In Jesus' name, amen.